Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Good Geekery Podcast. Uh, Tom here with Zach. Hey. Say hello. I'm Zach. <laughs> and uh, we're also here with Green Ronin Publishing's Donna Pryor and Steve Kenson. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves, guys? Hi. Hi, I'm Donna. I'm the events manager, GM coordinator, and do random variety of things for Green Rooney. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm a staff designer with Green Rooney, uh, formerly a developer for Mutants and Masterminds. Cool. Well, uh, thank you both for being here. Uh, like I said, uh, we're super excited to, to have you on board. So That's a pleasure. So I've been a big fan of tabletop RPGs in general, uh, of course, starting back with Dungeons & Dragons back when I was in high school um, and kind of just expanding from there. So it, this podcast is kind of really <laughs> close placed in my heart. Um, so I guess, uh, Steve, I just want to start asking, start with asking you, uh, what is it like to actually design these games? Um, it's, you know, really it's a lot of fun, you know, ultimately. <clears throat> it's, it's work to be sure. Um, and, you know, anyone who is under the impression that folks who work in the game industry do nothing but play our games all day, uh, don't understand how these games get made. But, you know, although it's, it's certainly work and sometimes it's a lot of work, um, it's, it's work that, you know, I care about, um, and it's work making things that I care about. So, you know, it, it's always, it's always worthwhile. Uh, in the end, uh, and you know, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, a lot of fun in the process as well. Awesome. Right. I mean, you must yeah. enjoy it considering the the huge amount of time that you've spent with it as well. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's something of a truism that you know, especially in the tabletop industry, mm-hmm. everyone involved in it is ultimately in it because they really love it. Because yeah. if we really were to apply the skills that we have in any other industry, we could probably be making a lot more money. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that ultimately the people who are who are doing tabletop uh, and are working in the industry are doing it because they really love it. Right. I mean, that, that's what it's about, right? You know, doing some, finding that thing that you love and doing that. No, yeah, no matter what, it's, it's nice to do things because you, as you said, you care for them or because you enjoy it and not necessarily purely for the financial gain. I mean, to me personally, that really strikes a chord that I can empathize with a lot. I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd like to ask you, actually, I haven't been playing uh, tabletop games recently, but when I was young, certainly I used to play like some of the original Dungeons & Dragons games like with some of the books uh, written by uh, Gary Gagax himself. And mm-hmm. my, my elder brothers used to play it as well, so I was familiar with them. And just thinking about it, like once you said that you would come on to our show, it, it just got me wondering: how on earth do you fit? How do you go about fitting like a working reality, a working world, into a twenty-sided dice-based reality? H- how do you approach that? How do you make it feel realistic? How do you make it feel rewarding? Uh, that's a really broad question. I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about sort of fundamentals of game design, really. Um, I think that rewarding is much more important than realistic. Right. You know, although um, realistic, you know, well, I guess, you know, it depends on what you mean by realistic, but, you know, realistic can be one of the things about a game that makes it rewarding, uh-huh. uh, but really it's focusing on uh, the things that about a game that make it rewarding and looking for ways that you can build the game that enforce or support those themes, um, whether the game is about uh, telling a certain kind of story, as as tabletop role playing games often are, right? Um, or you know, is about uh, creating a certain kind of experience. You can you can look for for different ways in which the the game supports that, and there are all kinds of you know, like any artistic endeavor, and game design is as much art as science, if not more. Um, Like any artistic endeavor, there are various schools of thought as to, you know, what is the, you know, the the best way of doing something or what is, you know, the, the, you know, most innovative way of doing something. 
Um, right. And oftentimes, you know, some will approach game design with the notion that the the rules are particularly paramount, and you know the game as as a game should have a certain kind of structure and flow to it. Uh-huh. Others prefer game systems or game rules, especially in the role playing game field, that provide a certain sort of step up for the the players and the game master, but also serve to kind of move aside and get out of their way when they want to improvise or they want to um, simply, you know, relate part of a story right. that isn't necessarily dependent on the rules. You know, you can you can see it in in the you know sort of discussion back and forth in terms of whether or not a game should have rules for handling social interaction. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, some prefer that there be hard and fast rules. Um, some prefer that there be no rules and that social interaction simply be governed by what happens around the game table. Right. And some like to see some kind of middle ground. Uh, where the, there are some rules to fall back on, um, but they're not so complex or so limiting that they they limit the sort of interaction that happens around the table. Right. I mean, it, it must be pretty difficult to... I mean, from, from my perspective at least, it must be pretty difficult to build a, a game system that, as you say, has that backup rule. And just for argument's sake, I'm going to throw out you know the charisma stat and you hope you roll an 18 on that and all that. And uh, it's got to be, but at the same time, you need to the players to kind of express themselves as well. And I guess mm-hmm. it's up to the GM to kind of draw the line as to whether he wants to bend the rules and stuff. So to me, it's just mind-boggling that you can create a system that kind of lets the GM bend the rules to kind of facilitate the story and the narrative and the mm-hmm. overall game, but it doesn't compromise, you know, the actual fact that it is a game and you know you can mm-hmm. actually, uh, you can actually, you, you you can lose if you. You know, if you play your cards wrong and you take the wrong decisions, so yeah, I sure. find it very interesting. Sure. Yeah, there's 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 a lot to it in terms of of what the what the game tries to create and what it implies and what it allows and you know where it's 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 most definitely not an, an exact science in terms of how it all works out. Wow, super cool! I, I love game design and the theory that comes behind it. I think it's, like Zach, I think it's amazing that you can bottle up this world into a system that can explode into thousands of other worlds mm-hmm. from the minds of the players. Yeah. And uh, So kind of, kind of speaking of players, I know, Donna, you're the events and volunteer GM manager yep. in running. So I imagine you have a lot of interaction with players in your day-to-day activities. Um What's what's it like kind of seeing people playing these games that you're working with this company to develop? Yeah, you know what my favorite part is actually the the volunteer GMs that we have that go out and demo our games is they submit uh reports where they go to conventions and game stores and um they're taking our products to brand new people and many of them have never played tabletop RPGs before. And um, getting the perspective and the feedback from the people with the new experience. You know, it's really easy for people who have been playing a long time to just, oh, pick up a system and figure it out. You know, mechanics are mechanics are mechanics. Indeed. Somewhat. Right. But, you know, we really, really get into our stories and our worlds and, you know, and creation. Um, but, you know, being able to have ex- super accessible um, systems and approachable players, you know, your players are just as, the GMs, the volunteer GMs are just as passionate as the people who are creating the games. Indeed. You know, they, they, they take an ownership themselves um, in, a, in a way because they're huge fans and they'll do anything for us. And so um, working with them and, and the feedback they get for designing their own games within our games um, to present to brand new people. I mean, it's just really exciting. I get the best feedback and um, and neat stuff about about the people who play our games. Cool. So. Cool. Um, anyways, Donna, I, I, that's a great answer, and I love I love hearing that you guys love seeing passion in these people playing your games. And I imagine Steve, it's similar for you to hear about people playing the games you've designed and had a personal hand in. That must be really rewarding. Yeah, indeed. 
you know, there's, there, I mean, the, the very best thing, you know, that uh, a designer can hear from someone is, you know, that, you know, I had fun, you know, with something you created. Indeed. For sure. I mean, I have to say, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I think there is a certain, there's definitely a certain elegance to tabletop gaming. Because uh, in my mind, because I'm personally quite into computer game design and the like, and of course, with computer games, there are there is an RPG genre thing. Games like, of course, they're no way as deep and they're they're very linear in comparison. But things like uh, Final Fantasy, Sweet Code, and, and mm-hmm. all that. And what's interesting is because in those games, it's it's all dealt with by the mathematics of the programming. If you do mm-hmm. one thing, then another thing happens. But I, I just find it interesting that in the tabletop gaming, there's just there's basically infinite variables it depends upon the player it depends upon the gm the world he wants to create but you know based in the structure of your rules and stuff it depends uh, on when pizza comes in <laughs> yeah it depends on pizza right. comes in as well. but I, yeah. I i just think the tabletop gaming in many ways it's to me it seems more elegant in that regard in that i mean i'm sure there are mathematical algorithms behind it because mm-hmm. after all we're rolling dice here but at the same time it doesn't seem as hard coded in like a computer game because a computer game is it's a machine running something it's merciless if you fail you fail whereas the gm to propagate the story he can bend reality a bit yeah yeah i mean the social interaction between players and especially the the role of the the game master in many tabletop games is is really the magic ingredient that makes tabletop what it is and is really the one thing that's completely unmatched yeah. in any other genre of gaming. Um, you know, whereas, you know, board games, for example, have very set rules and very set end states. You know, there's one way in which you win, you know, the, the game. Um, and, you know, whereas computer games likewise have a very set system of algorithms and programming, um, you know, tabletop games are, are still ultimately imaginative and are really all about the decisions that the players make at the table and the things that they come up with at the table. And so, yeah, they, they afford that option of, you know, if the rules provide, you know, uh, uh, you know, essentially an incorrect mathematical result, you know, that, wow, that would be terrible. <laughs> you know, that the game master can, you know, decide to ignore it. The players can, as a group, decide to modify things. Yeah. Um, and you know, just kind of move on. And you know, sometimes it's—I mean, sometimes it's—it's it's covering for for poor game design. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's just covering for you know, just the sheer randomness of uh, you know the the whole experience. You know, any any system where you're you're set up with yeah. the players to truly have choice. You know, there's uh, there's going to be the possibility that they're either going to make a bad choice. Or that luck is simply not going to be with them, mm. um, and they're going to get that fatal bad die roll. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah. it's the question of what spins out of that. Right. Is there is there anything worse than having a a plus fifteen on a roll with difficulty of ten and getting a critical failure? <laughs> getting that one on that is there any worse feeling in the world? I don't know. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I think the other thing which is maybe unique to tabletop gaming now that I think about it is storytelling is something that has been very close to humanity since basically as far as we can track back like we go and look at cavemen drawings on the on on their walls and stuff and people have surmised that that they you know they have been telling stories and in a way one thing that I've I'm just realizing that tabletop gaming may have that other types of gaming don't have is that narrative it is that storytelling mechanic and the fact that you can change it means that you can make the stories interesting. Because let's face it, you, you don't really want to read a story about someone that has a normal day and like fails at various <laughs> things, locks his keys like inside right. his car and things like that. So yeah. I think that's another really cool aspect of uh, tabletop yeah. gaming that maybe a lot of people don't consider. Although the funny thing is, and you know, all the tabletop games certainly make an effort to to tell certain types of stories. You know, pretty much every every tabletop. RPG has, you know, uh, at least a genre, you know, of stories that it's trying to tell. But the thing I find fascinating uh, about them 
is the 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 sort of disconnect, I suppose you can say, between the 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 intended stories and the stories that often arise right. um, out of the games. Because you know you can have a game that's intended to be this you know sort of sweeping epic fantasy, um, and sometimes you get you know campaigns that are are exactly like that that are these sweeping epic fantasy stories uh-huh. but oftentimes the best stories that come out of tabletop games are just the weird random things yeah. that crop up that leave everybody at the table breathless with laughter yeah, um, yeah. because they're just so incredibly stupid <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. like the old traditional gazebo story, right? Like the, you know, gazebo right. story, yeah. like the old gazebo story. That that's that's an absolute classic. And if you haven't looked, if you've never heard of it, you must read this story about the dude in the gazebo. The dude in the gazebo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like from the eighties. I mean, it's just one of these classic things. And so, you know, it's one of those things that it all it becomes a meme. It you know, when somebody makes a joke about fighting a gazebo. Yeah. Everybody has that shared moment, and then you can also have those uh, shared moments um, even outside your game because people love hearing you tell stories about your experiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had um, there was a game, my very first D and D game. Um, after I was told I, that girls don't play D and D all through <laughs> high school, <laughs> right. this was the eighties, and I finally found an, a, a game group that had two other women in it. And we eventually got to a really solid, long campaign. And people used to actually come over while we were playing and sit around with popcorn and beer and egg us on and cheer and cry. And they were going through the experience with us. It's the storytelling. The storyteller always gets the best place next to the fire. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of that is because... You know, the way that time is right now, and with so many adults really wanting to get back into it, you know, that you don't have the same time as when you were younger yeah. to be able to play epic stories or, or get into real meaty ones is, uh, you know, why we're having such a resurgence of story games. Right. Uh, a GM-less system where a lot of people are actually building them off current games and stories that already exist mm-hmm. and then the new content that's been created right. and how – now that there's board games that are also doing narrative where it's a combination of, you know, a board game or a card game style that people can relate to, but yet it has a storytelling aspect to it. Right. You know, like Keith Baker's new project. And um, so, it, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, it really is the story is everything, yeah. um, you know, into that, that whole passion. I mean, we all have mm-hmm. a passion for a story. And like Donna points out, oftentimes the story ends up being, you know, as much the sort of war stories that we tell, yeah. you know, about our games as it is the actual in-game narrative. Right. Right. And I'm- what's even cool and bouncing off that is how social media, like my group, a couple of us, we are constantly tweeting, you know, like when it's game day, I tweet my character sheet. And then everything I'm tweeting during the whole game session is like in all caps from from my little halfling, uh, you know, um, cleric, and she's very you know gung ho and and funny. And so I start tweeting and I'm posting it to Facebook. And but I also get where our GM will take us aside and you know have side conversations like over Facebook and give you like a character story and being able to do these things so you can keep your story going outside of what's going on at the table. Mm-hmm. You see, that is, one of the, other people into it, yeah. that is one of the best uses of social media that I've heard in a long time. That's actually <laughs> inspiring me to maybe use Facebook and social media a bit more. I think that's awesome. Oh, I can actually chat you, Zach. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, so uh, have, have either of you uh, played a tabletop game via Skype or similar sort of thing, so where you're not actually getting together in person? Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, no, I... Um... I, I kind of I have to do it in person. <laughs> I I understand completely, um, Steve. Did you feel you could connect as well? Maybe maybe not as well. Maybe that's a poor way of putting it, but still connect with the story, with the characters, with the system that you were playing. Yeah, I have to say uh, I was a little dubious about the notion of of you know playing uh, over a video chat, um, but I have. Um, actually, technically, I've run some games that way. I've never experienced it from the, the player side, but I've done it from the game master side. And 
Um, I actually found it uh, to be surprisingly easy uh, overall, and that um, the uh, after you know the initial uh, sort of adjustment to it, um, that the I just kind of forgot about the uh, the nature of the interaction, and you know it was still the same as sitting at the head of a table running a game, you know, except I could just see the players on the screen instead of looking down the table at them. But, you know, otherwise the interactions were still much the same. Um, and it was a very similar experience. I was, I was pretty dubious prior to trying it, but it actually worked out pretty well, I think. Well, that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. And there you go. If, if anyone was listening to this and uh, you're not sure if it'll work, give it a go. Yes. Yeah. That sounds, uh, I, I, I mean, I have some friends who have done the same thing, and uh, I was dubious as well, but in hindsight, the fact that they kept on doing it every week probably indicated sure, that it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do that, uh, but I don't think I could run one very well through that. Um, okay. because I, but I would, I would love to play in somebody's game, you know, over Skype or a Hangout or, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of similar type yeah. thing. I mean, as you mentioned, Donna, I think uh, you said that, and I think you are correct, that as adults we have more difficulty with like time to commit to these types of things. And uh, from my experience, the more people you get involved in a project, the harder it is to kind of get everyone on board, <laughs> especially when they're not being paid for it and it's for recreation. Absolutely. And to put them in different countries with different time zones, potentially, that it, it just gets exponentially harder, I suppose. But, yeah, yeah. maybe worth it. Yeah, yeah well, I mean... I mean- I get a lot of my role play from, you know, playing MMOs. Right. So, um, so I do a lot of that, you know, truly a geek right there. <laughs> hey, it's okay. I play MMOs too. So we can be guilty together. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, the social interaction that is the, the sort of, you know, magic ingredient of, of tabletop is also its, its biggest challenge right. uh, yeah. in this day and age. Uh, and, and the, the most commonly heard, um, challenge, you know, I hear from players and fans at conventions is, you know, I love your game, I would love to play it more often, but I can't get a group of people together to play it. And that's the hard part. If, you know, we could figure out a way to, you know, uh, package uh, a game group or a great game master, you know, with every game, you know, we'd be <laughs> in great shape, but... Right, so right. You, I, you should start packaging players into your, like, the boxes in the workshop. To send <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I, I hear frequently, uh, like, like Zach was touching on, it's, it's an issue of time. And it makes me wonder, is this, is it kind of a cultural shift? Cause I mean, back, back when I was in high school, I was, I, I believe I was spending more time doing more stuff. And yet I still had time to get a group of people together and play some games. Whereas now I feel like I'm doing less on paper, but it's adding up to more of my time. Now, is that a cultural shift that we've been moving towards, or I don't know? I, I don't know. I mean, like, for my experience, I play because I run um, a board game uh, meetup group. So um, so I'm always doing that, but it's hard for me to find people to commit, especially right now. So there's this thing. It's a secret, but in Seattle, it doesn't rain from June through August. What? <laughs> I know. I know. You know, maybe a sprinkle, but that's it. <laughs> and so everyone is outside, and oh, the sun doesn't come nice. almost. I mean, it's still light, you know, at nine thirty at night. That sounds so really it's nice. Really, really hard. Yeah, it is nice. You know, it's um, it's really hard to nail people down because I li- I live in a place where there is a board game meetup, and we're not talking RPGs. We're not talking about anything else, but a board game. There's at least three or four board game nights going on every night of the week. Mm-hmm. So you've got gay gamers, uh, ballard gamers, you know, war gamers, you, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you got the Paizo, you know, with their game things, you've got War Machine Days, you've got, there is so much gaming activity here that it's really hard to pin folks down. And then I think that there's a lot of people mm-hmm. have the opposite problem. They just don't have enough people to play with. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think sometimes it's this, you're either in a place that has lots of nerds, or you're living in a place that, you know, it's really hard to find people. Like, yeah. I can find people any time I want, but I'm picky who I game with. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think one... Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, one of the other challenges of, of um, time and scheduling is is also that role-playing games have this sort of serial quality to them, 
that you know generally you're you're not going to just play a single discrete session of a role playing game, but you're going to play uh, a campaign or a series, mm. and you know that tends to be a much bigger both time commitment long term if you're going to play the whole thing. You know, say you want to play through all of um, Tyranny of Dragons, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons. Right. You know, that's a whole, you know, 15-level campaign. Wow. And, you know, to have consistency in that where not only do you have to schedule time for everybody to get together and play it, but what happens when frequently one or two players can't make it? And yeah. that happens to be a regular thing every game session, and it's never the same, you know, one or two people <laughs> who can't show up. Yeah, and I guess that's a, a complex thing about growing up as well. Like, as you grow older, you might have commitments which you have to prioritize more than your role playing session. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know when uh, you have a family member that needs taking somewhere or things like that. Really, yeah, and it's kind of like the shifting schedules too. Like, as you're an adult, I guess you have more commitments, but they're never perfectly scheduled. Like, there's your eight to five if that's the sort of job that you work. And then after that, it could be you're taking the kids to school on these days, but not these days. Or yes. a soccer game on this day, but not on this day. Or, or sorry, a football game internationally. <laughs> I apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I feel like it, it could be that, that shifting of schedules a little bit as well that makes it harder to get people to commit con- consistently, I guess. Yeah. I actually have a question uh, for you guys, which is kind of built on something Tom was saying about a cultural shift. And uh, this is one thing I've noticed concerning the internet and particularly uh, groups of maybe younger people who have grown up very much with the internet. Because uh, for me, the internet was something that, you know, I remember like life before even dial up. And the internet seems like a double-edged sword to me in that, A, it's amazing because you can meet and talk to basically anybody from any part of the world, which is fantastic but at the same time do you think that some people might have been a bit inhibited by the internet and that that's how they get their social socializing done so when it comes to like like tabletop gaming where you need to be quite social and active do you think the internet might actually hinder people in that regard as well oh gosh there i mean i could talk for hours just on this because in my day job my you know my 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 full-time kind of thing i'm a community manager social media manager so there are layers and layers and layers to your question. Okay, um, I've opened the can of worms. But on a, on a basic thing, it's it's really interesting because there is a lot. There's a lot of people who make games who are on Twitter, right? And there's a lot of chats. Like there's Board Game Hour, which is uh, run by a group of folks, and so every Monday, I think it is, they do one for uh, one for UK, and they do one for US. So they do them at two different times a day. Um, and then they there's like pre-scheduled questions, and it's really nice because when you start interacting and using the hashtags on Twitter, is that people see that you're talking and they'll jump into the conversations. Right. And um, so you get more. There's RPG chat, which I love, and you get a lot of people who make games and people who GM games. And there's always people that are looking for more games to play and and things like that. So you know, but I, I've had downsides where you know I work in games. And everything I do is about games. And sometimes I get jerk faces that'll just say, well, you know, you're a girl. What do you know about games? And, mm. you know, you're not a real, you know, you're not a dev because you're, you don't actually make games. And so, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, there are people who are kind of big jerk faces, but that's everywhere. Indeed. You know, people yeah. are all big jerk yeah. faces. But Indeed. I think that social media has opened up, you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups. Right. Um, I'm not a fan of Google Plus, and I'm known for ranting about it. <laughs> but I think that Hangouts has been amazing for people playing games together. And I'm really loving that virtual tabletop and, right. and the embedding of virtual tabletop and social media together is becoming uh, – I'm really excited to see what everybody's going to do with it. I mean, it's mm. really fun to watch. There's a new service. I just signed up for it because I saw somebody else doing it. And – I can't remember the name of what it's called, but um, you can live stream from your phone. So it's not a big giant service like Twitch. Is this right. Periscope? Uh, no, it's actually separate from mm. there. Oh, it's called UpClose. Mm. And so essentially you just kind of click and go and uh, you just start streaming, right? Holding your phone in front of your face and um, some smaller indie games. 
you know, that are doing like mobile games and things like that are doing that versus Twitch. Right. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to shift the conversation just a little bit. And I, I don't know if it was something that we just got really lucky on uh, when the two of you decided to reply to us or if it was something that Green Ronin is all about anyways. But a big part of Good Geekery uh, and what we're trying to accomplish is to help find ways for the, quote, geek community to do good in the world, make the world a better place for everybody. Hmm. And uh, and so when the two of you got in touch with me, I was like, okay, hey, these these are, you know, you guys have done some cool stuff. And then you both started talking about inclusion in, in the geek community and in gaming mm-hmm. specifically. And I was like, wow, that's exactly what we're talking yeah. about. I mean, in- inclusion is probably one of the w- words that we look for when talking about Good Geekery in the first place. Like, just trying to bring everybody together and saying. And, and so... Uh, Donna, I, I'd like to start with you because you already mentioned that uh, that you organize a con, and so I uh, I know that the mission of your con is directly related to inclusion. So I'm going to start with you and ask you uh, if you would like to talk a little bit about it and your perspective on inclusion in the geek community and the direction it's going. Sure. Um, so you know, OrcaCon was in. The reason why it's called Orcas is because it's a Washington thing. <laughs> so, until, I, until I actually was talking about OrcaCon out of state and somebody said, why Orca? And I, I was speechless because it's just, it's an icon of Washington. It really is. And we're, when we're fundraising also, uh, the, any of the charity stuff we're doing is to the Orca network to help, um, Orcas and save the Orcas. And, uh, but anyway, so, you, you know, as I talked earlier about like with D&D, you know, I was told that, um, you know, girls don't play D&D. You know, I was I could do all the geeky things in high school. And we're talking like 81, 80 right. um, back then. And um, but the boys wouldn't let me play with them. You know, they're just like, well, this isn't for girls. And I believed that for a long time. And I would go into game stores and I was never felt welcome. Either that or you would get those people that were a little like hands on. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. You know it's what I mean? like, oh, it's a girl, it's a novel. It's Let's, a girl, yeah. Ah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, ew, gross, get away from me. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, it, and so, and it never got better. Mm. And so, uh, like the first time that I walked into a games workshop, um, who's notorious for yeah. not, uh, you know, not being open to women and people of color yes. uh, in their stores, uh, or into their gaming communities and, I don't mind saying it at all, naming and shaming. Uh, but he used to ask me, are you shopping for your dad? Are you shopping for your boyfriend? Yeah. As I got older, and I still get this when I go to game stores sometimes, is are you shopping for your kids? Because now that I'm old, <laughs> well, right? Are you shopping for your husband? Are you shopping for your kids? And, you know, that whole thing of not being taken seriously is just it, – it's just really uh, – it, it really stings for a very, very long time. It's, it's and I had too the much same for thing yeah. with Yeah, I mean, I still get that. You know, it's still hard. And and I and I love being able to. There's, you know, I've been kind of raised really nerdy, so I don't really listen to people sometimes. But you know, that whole thing about you know, girls don't do this, girls don't do miniatures. But now I play War Machine because Privateer Press is awesome. Yes, they are. And yeah. um. So all these years of all this stuff, and I meet people all the time. They're like, oh, I wish I could play this game. I wish I could learn how to play this. And it's harder for RPGs because people will try to join an existing gaming group, and that's really hard for a lot of reasons. And the number one is that, as we talked earlier about the stories and the shared experience, the war stories, Mm -hmm. is that you're left out of that. You don't know all the in-jokes. You also feel guilty. People do not like to feel stupid. And you feel like you're holding everybody back because you don't understand the mechanics. You don't understand the world. Um, You know, I got lucky when I first started playing first – because I started playing first edition, and I was just handed a bunch of Forgotten Realms novels, you know, like Crystal Shard, you know, the very, very, very early ones back in the, uh, you know, late 80s. And so I had a lot of source material I could sit down and read before I even started playing. Right. Um, But not every game group is like that. I've been to game groups where, you know, like, hey, we're looking for another person. Oh, I'd love to, I love Call of Cthulhu. I'd love to go play. And I know that Call of Cthulhu can get really dark, but there's also a point of consent, not only to the player, but to the player's character. 
And so there were, uh, I've been on the receiving end of too many times where they were looking for a female player to play the healer or to play whatever. And then the GM or other players put your character in a non-consensual sexual situation. Uh, that's... And this still happens today because I talk to girls and women all the time. You know, it's really hard. You look around at a game store and like, so OrcaCon really, there's, we have a local game convention called Dragonflight and it's really nice and they're really fun. They've been around for almost 40 years. Um, but the, you go in there, it's 99.9% straight white dudes over the age of 35. <laughs> and that's not bad. That's just what it is. Right? Right. Because that's right. just what it is. And so I wanted to create something that, um, you know, welcomed everyone. Because it's not a newbie-friendly community, you know, mm-hmm. convention, and most of them aren't. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know that you have to sign up for games. You don't know how long they're going to take. Yeah. Um, is the game open to newbies, or do they want you to already know how to play? You know, things like that. And I think that in general, we, you know, as players and in communities, we don't always reach for the new people. Yeah. And, you know, and help them. So that's the point of, like, why I started the meetup group before I was doing the convention was this is board game and beer geeks. So we meet in a pub, (laughs) right, which is nice because there's everybody is at a pub. And so uh, if you're new to beer and you're new to games, we'll teach you about both. (laughs) I love it. And so so we've got a good cross-section of people. So we've got, you know, gender mixes. We've got, you know, I mean, we've just got a huge, huge mix. And we probably have one of the most mixed, diverse uh, gaming groups in the area because it doesn't matter. I mean, I've got people from 17 up through 75 who come wow. to my meetups. That's great. So, yeah, I know, which is really, really cool because everybody can play games. Yeah. And so that was kind of why I said, you know, you know, and I've talked to Dragonflight folks sometime. And they're like, well, we would like more diversity. We would like this. It's hard to do it when you've had something that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. If you start it this way and make it welcome to everybody, then, um, you know, it's like the first thing I did was an anti-harassment policy. Right. You know, and, you know, setting all these, you know, boundaries and, and things and using a lot of language just is, you know, um, you know, and I mean, we could start talking about, you know, like, uh, I, I make a joke sometimes that there are people, you know, that sometimes your charisma is your dump stat, which is only <laughs> funny to a certain group of people. Right. But, you yeah. know, trying to explain, you know, what charisma is. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that people sometimes, like we were talking earlier, is that they don't always, you know, put their, you know, is charisma. They don't always learn how to socialize. You build yes. other skills. Yeah. And socialization isn't necessarily where you put your skill points. Yeah. Right. It's funny you should mention that they might not know what charisma is. I was thinking they wouldn't know what a dump stat is. Well, that's what, yeah, they won't know what a dump stat is either. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I made a joke about comeliness the other day and nobody knew what I was talking about because everybody oh, wow. was a third edition player. That's damn you know, third, 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 third. Yeah, I don't, I, I, <laughs> Back in my I, day, I, I, I know what edition. comeliness is. I remember that. Yes. No, no, no. I, I'm not, I'm not that old, but, um, <laughs> It's interesting because I feel that you, what you've been doing is kind of, you've been, with your anti-harassment policy and rules especially, like, I don't think the original people intended it to be, um, like, so close, like, to, as you said, to straight, mainly straight white male over the age of 35. I just think it kind of became that yep. way and maybe they kind of, there started to be a lot of unwritten rules. And it just became about mm-hmm. people belonging because a lot of the time people come into these games and they they might struggle with other things like they can't go out and play football or soccer or whatever. So they, they come to these games and they want to belong. So you kind of get a culture that grows from within that. And I think the yeah. people that made the game originally probably just focused on the game itself and they didn't realize that in many ways that it's a bit of a social phenomenon. So I think what you're doing is brilliant, really, because it's kind of readdressing it. It's, it's you're setting the, uh, you're kind of wiping the slate clean, saying, "Hey, look, this is for everybody." The one thing all your members of your group have in common is the fact that they want to play the game, and I think that's wicked. Right. Yeah. But I think you know, Steve can back me up on this. Is that you know, we have a thing that we, we talk about in the games industry at times. Um, and Jen Frank uh, wrote a really great article about called the Rolodex theory. And uh-huh. you know, as you encounter people who do what you do or do what you know in, in a professional environment, it's people that you network with. Yeah, And, you know, you start that when you're younger and you network with people who are like you. Mm-hmm. 
And so as you go on, you know, it's that you are not surrounded by marginalized voices and marginalized people. Yeah. And so when you're like, oh, I need players for a game, you go to these people. You don't know how to – people don't know how to look for um, – right. to bring diversity into their game groups and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's why I like the, the work that Steve does with the, you know, the Gen Con panel, Queer's a Three-Sided Die and things like that. It's a lot of – you know, bringing the voices out there for people to see and people to say, oh, there's more people like me or, or how do I, how do I make, you know, safe spaces for people? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things about uh, the issue of inclusion is that the exclusion more often than not is very unconscious. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There, there, in my experience, are I mean there's there's a small segment of you know like Donna says there's small segment of people who are just you know difficult Bad shall apples. we say Bad <laughs> um, you know but for the most part most people don't even realize that they're excluding people because they're just you know not acquainted with the whole process of that anyone is being excluded you know the the challenge with marginalized people is that they're often invisible. Yeah. And that uh, there's there's not even an awareness that they need to be included or invited in as part of the process, and so increasing visibility and awareness is one of the first steps in the process of of making you know a community more inclusive. Yeah. It's just really making everybody aware that there's a problem in the first place, yeah. and that there's something that needs to be addressed. So. You know, on the on the mainstream side, it's it's saying, "Hey, you're excluding all of these people. Are you aware of that?" Yeah. And some people naturally bristle a little at that because it's the, "Well, are you accusing us of something?" Yeah. You know, and it's no, I'm trying to make you aware of something. Uh, you know, there's a difference. Indeed. And I mean- um, you know, on the the sort of marginal side, it's the process of saying, "Hey, you're not alone." There are other people like you, and there are plenty of people who are not like you who are still really cool and would love to have you around. And being able to sort of work all of that in together so that people can can be together in the same space. You know, when I was, uh, a, a, you know, a young gamer, uh, first, you know, really heavily into um, tabletop in high school, mm-hmm. I was so deep in the closet that I could see Narnia. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was desperate for, for, you know, even the, the slightest hint, uh, that, that these amazing fantasy worlds I loved had people like me in them. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, that, that there were, that there were, that there were heroic gay people, you know, that there were heroic people of all kinds in these worlds. Um, because you know we we look for that we we want to see ourselves reflected in our stories and so i know just how much people who feel marginalized just thirst for that yeah and you know uh, it's it's easy when media in general caters to to you and you know and you're part of the the majority that you know you're see yourself reflected in media everywhere yeah. To to not even be aware of that need because you've never felt it. It's you know, like an automated like, yeah. It's like an automated social validation, isn't it? And if you have yeah, that from the exactly. media, you don't think of it. I mean, what I find fascinating about this is it's kind of. I mean, marginalization is a really key word here. I feel, but it, it's kind of like they're margins within margins. I mean, what I'm mm-hmm. going to say, I don't mean pejoratively at all, but certainly when I was at school, um, the kids doing role playing and stuff like that, they were often picked on. Because they were the geeks, they were the nerds. They were picked on by like you know the the kids who were like cooler or whatever. So and and when people kind of come together, it's I don't want to say it's like protection, but they kind of do. They they group together, they go to their they play their game, sure. and it's kind of it's their thing. It's what's familiar to them. So it's kind of ironic in a way that they're feeling marginalised, so they want to protect what they have with the people around them that they know. But by doing that, they they inadvertently exclude other people who would love to belong, but they're kind of excluded maybe by fear more than anything else, but kind of innocent fear of those guys just wanting to protect themselves as well. 
if that makes sense, any sense. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, the geek culture has a long history of, yeah. of, of marginalization. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, in some ways it's, it's even become kind of enshrined in, mm. in geek culture, the whole notion of geeks being marginalized. Um, even to the point where I think that, you know, it, some, some kind of cling to the notion, um, uh, you know, of, you know, well, we're marginalized, you know, and it's like, well, yeah. And like you said, there are layers of mm-hmm. marginalization and, you know, it's not an on or off, you know, s- switch, you know, as far as that goes, you know, just like there are layers of, of, you know, cultural privilege, you know, there are layers of, of cultural marginalization. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's, that gets into a much, you know, sort of new, more nuanced, you know, discussion. Right. Of it. But it, uh, it's really, it's really seemed a little bit that, uh, kind of the idea that you are a geek over the course of just the past 10 minutes or so, or not 10 minutes, uh, 10 years or so, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of gone from being this kind of stigmatized thing to say you are a geek to, hey, I'm a geek. And everyone's like, yeah, so what? I am too. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it's gotten a lot more popular, right. I guess. There are t-shirts well, that's about you, it. Well, that's where you get into sort of the weird tribal, uh, you know, fake geek thing, you know, right. uh, in terms uh, yeah. of because, because, you know, geek pursuits have become so much more mainstream and, uh, you know, now, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm a fan of Game of Thrones, so I'm a geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, it's like all forms of identity, it's self-declared. So if somebody says they're a geek, you know, that's what they are. But you get into a lot of, well, you're not a geek because you're not into (laughs) this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, in my day... I have the and, first edition monster manual and all that. Right. <laughs> and it, it's, it, you get into these ridiculous contests about who, you know, whose geek cred is more valid than whose. Right. Uh, and, you know, who gets to judge that. Uh, yeah. 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 Gatekeeping, I mean, that, that, that whole thing, you know, the EP. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's just terrible. You know, yes. I mean, why can't, you know, it, there, I don't remember who said it originally, but I say it all the time is that it's okay to not like things. Right. You know, and, you know, and it's the same thing is that, because I I hate it when you're really excited about something and people just kind of crap on it. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's okay for it to not be your thing. Just stop crapping on what everybody else loves, you know. By the same token, it's okay for other people to like things that you like. Yeah. You know, I mean, instead of, oftentimes the reaction, instead of celebrating and saying, yay, more people like the things we like. Wow, superhero movies are popular. Yeah. You know. And Hollywood wants to make them as fast as they humanly can. <laughs> you know, wow, you know, I mean, 10 year old me would have been unbelievably thrilled by that. I mean, um, yeah, indeed. But, you know, <laughs> instead you get, you know, the, the sort of gatekeeping of, you know, oh, well, now that it's popular, it isn't really geeky. You know, yeah, because geeky things have to be marginalized and they have to be hated and, oh, well, I liked it before it was popular. And, right. You know, and really what, what geek is, is passion in in our view. It's, right. Yep. If you are a geek, if you are passionate about something, anything, you're passionate about music, art, uh, writing, video games, whatever that passion may be, you are yeah. now a geek, and you are in this community. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like kind of going back to OrcaCon and how you guys talk about how you know there's no gatekeeping and there's no yep. gatekeeping in your meetup. And what what I view that as is um rather than no gatekeeping in the positive light, it's kind of an open-door policy, in a way. And saying, you know, everyone's welcome, and you actively encourage everyone to come in. And is something like that, this open, this idea of an open-door policy into the geek community at large, is that something we can do individually and within our groups to kind of draw more people in and, and make it more okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, that's the nice thing. I Why I like playing, you know, things... I mean, it's really great to do, like, free RPG day and play a, play RPG in public and play a game in public. But it's fun to do those every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime yeah. that you're out and, you know, you, whether it's throwing down Love Letter, which is really easy. Um, my husband and I, we grab magic cards and we play magic cards every. We play magic everywhere, casually. And people are always like, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know if I could do this. And we're like, yeah, come on, sit down. That's so cool. 
And, and you know, and that's all it takes is on an individual basis is sitting down. I carry, I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds of games. And, you know, I, I carry games in my car. I carry them with when I when I go anywhere. And, you know, people are always interested. And, and there are so many people who really, really, really want to play games. Mm. But, you know, they just need to be told they can. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think one of the things, one of the reasons why I start my own meetups everywhere, every time I move, every time I go somewhere, I start meetups because I've been to meetups and I never know who the host is and everybody already knows what they're doing. They already know each other, um, you know, and you don't really feel welcome. So, uh, yeah, that's that's awkward. And yeah. 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 Uh, so it happens in the same. It's even harder in game stores because there's a lot more competition. Mm. People are a little bit more competitive in the game store. The nice thing about doing it at a pub is that socialization is first. Yeah. So it's much easier to bring people in. Hell, you know, here, have a beer and, and, you know, watch our game. We'll answer any questions, even if people don't want to play. And just, you know, we do that whenever we play D&D in public. You know, it doesn't matter what we're doing. But people will just like, oh, this is really cool. Obviously, you can't do big giant ones like if you go to a pub. But you can do like a nice short adventure. You can do, you know, some really fun kind of things. Yeah. Um, And just, you know, when people are around, be aware of – one of the things that people in general don't do is be aware of their surroundings. That's why mm. we all get frustrated with each other in traffic in the grocery store is that people are not aware of, you know, they have a bubble around them and they don't look outside of it. And I think that as if you really, really want to welcome new people into the hobby and to keep it from stagnating is that when you're out there and you're doing something is that you're making eye contact, you know, you're looking around and you're inviting people. Yeah. You know, you're just like, hey, how's it going? And most people will just say, like, hey. And if they stop, you know, then just say, well, why don't you come in and have a seat? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's just one thing at a time like that. And single people can make an absolute difference. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, inclusiveness in the hobby has to be grassroots and it has to come from players and groups. You know, we can build on the, the industry side of things, we can build as much representation as we want into our product. Uh, and I, I think that's great. And I think that it's important that it's happening, but you really can't make the game experience inclusive from the design side. It's a social thing. It's, it's really about getting the, the players and the groups, you know, be inclusive to, to invite people to you know, do pretty much exactly what Don was talking about. And, you know, say, you know, Hey, you know, this game is really awesome. Would you like to learn how to play? Um, because gaming, ultimately, everybody talks about the, the, the ultimate gateway game. You know, of, you know, one of the great brass rings is going to be, you know, what would be the ultimate starter game to teach someone how to play RPGs? And the answer to that has always been a good game group that's willing to teach. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, no matter how simple or intro the game is, most people do not learn how to play by buying a game cold and reading the rules, they learn from other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So uh, thanks for that answer, Steve. We're uh, we're running out of time a little bit, so uh, I just want to go ahead and say thank you both for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you guys on the podcast. It's it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having me on. This has been an amazing amount of fun. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Great. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to know you guys are enjoying the podcast. So if you want to learn more about what we've talked about today, check the description in the video link, check the description in the podcast link, or head over to goodgeekery.org. And thank you again. Yeah, talk to us. Hit us back with some feedback. Let us know what you think. And, uh, yeah, but everyone, have a good day.